All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. In today's episode, Sona and I will be discussing the fifth episode of A Murder at the End of the World, the FX series on Hulu, called Crypt. Is this just a crypt for all these people, Sona? Is that what's going to happen here? <laughs> I didn't realize what the title was. That's very interesting. Um, I mean, it could be a literal crypt. It could be, I mean, I guess it would still be a literal crypt to say it's like a mystery or a secret, but I guess it works on a few levels. The Morse code appears again, you know, yes, code, the Morse code. Cryptic. Did you know that Darby knows Morse code? I wish they had established that better. <laughs> I know, right? It's so weird that like all of a sudden she knows Morse yeah. code. I wish they Big had. plot hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should have introduced that earlier, I think, in every single episode. <laughs> Uh, this is a really long episode. It's um, the longest one they've had so far. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, very high level before we get into it, I, I actually thought this was actually really well paced, surprisingly, considering what a long episode it was. I agree. I, I get surprisingly like frustrated with mystery shows like, all right, get to the point already. Or I feel like there's so much filler. This show, surprisingly, as long as all these episodes have been, have not been boring to me. Uh, although uh, I'll have my critiques at the end that I, <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's maybe too many pieces on the table, but I'm still very intrigued. Very intrigued. I thought it was a really solid episode. I was interested in the whole thing, but it isn't one of those shows where it's like the time flew by. No, it right. does feel yes. long. <laughs> right. Yes, but, absolutely. I mean, I think it is to their credit that I stay interested, even though exactly. it feels long. Right. Exactly. I feel the same way. I definitely feel the length of all the episodes and maybe even more so this one. But like you said, they go from one scene to the next. And I'm like, oh, interesting. What does that mean? You know, like I, I'm interested in each different scene as it plays out. So I, I, I'm, uh, they got me hooked <laughs> in their own way. Yeah. Although it's far from a perfect show, but still, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did also want to call out that um, we got a really nice review. Uh, thank you. I have a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. So uh, yeah, if you guys want to drop us reviews, we definitely appreciate it. Hey, I missed that. I'm, I have to check it. I have to brace myself every time I go in there, you know, so I have to really be in a good place psychologically. <laughs> yeah, Soda does get the brunt of those bad reviews. And we do appreciate, by the way, do appreciate negative criticism as well. But I would say uh, reach out to us uh, via needsomeintroduction at gmail.com with any criticism, if you have, as well, uh, or any feedback, you know, your own theories on the case. Rather than just leaving us a negative review, because, you know, we want to work on the podcast, obviously, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying my best, man. <laughs> we begin exactly where we left off with the previous episode, Zoomer sneezing. Darby smells Zoomer. She's looking for that smell that apparently she's very uh, olfactorily based or whatever you would say. Pheromones or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Perhaps. And this triggers a flashback to Bill pumping gas. I guess the memory of gasoline is what she's remembering there. So I'm not sure how this uh, Zoomer. Which, uh, yeah, smelled. I mean, I think that smell was directly related to the fact that she was in a gas station when this happened. <laughs> right. I don't think it's inherent to Bill that he always smells like gasoline. <laughs> He's but... just always covered in gas. <laughs> and this, in this flashback as well, we see uh, this very ominous wildfire coming. And this is something that thematically is becoming more and more prevalent on the show. And I, and I have a theory here at the end that I want to throw your way. But this idea that, you know, these wildfires are fueled partially by climate change. Mm -hmm. And Bill says, basically, we won't be able to outrun this forever, which, of course, this idea of like this environmental apocalypse impending is uh, thematically very big in this show, actually. Also, in this early scene, we see that, you know, or they plant this first idea about the ring, this like 
core clue that they have, Ebel, this ring that may very well be driving them to the identity of the killer. I have a question for you, Sona, or if maybe an observation that you can comment on. I am really struck by how much more relaxed Darby is in these flashback scenes compared to how uptight and antisocial and just bristly. I mean, she describes herself later in the episode as having no skin anymore. To Emma Corning's credit, she is really delineating this before and after. I'm not sure what happened in the mi middle that made her so so raw, such a wounded bird. We know she lost the love of her life, right? Like yeah. not literally, he's still alive during this time, but he just disappears from the hotel room and she hasn't seen him in the intervening time. We know her father's still alive, so it doesn't have to do with that. We know she had a substance abuse issue, right? That you had speculated on before yeah. and is more clearly established here. And we know she's in her early 20s, which is famously a time to be full of <laughs> angst. More than a teenage girl? I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. okay, fair, fair. Good point, good point. Okay, well, just some things to think about in connection with that. Maybe one way to interpret it, Bill brought out this more relaxed side of her, which is maybe part of the attraction there. I'm not sure if I'm overreading it, though. But We also know she has some sort of traumatic experience, right, that causes Bill to leave. That's his breaking point with the, and right, we saw the right. beginning of that in the house, right? Maybe something there. Yeah, there's probably more trauma to, to be had, but I'm curious to see if that's how intentional all of this is. In the present tense, we see Eva shows up, and this is back to your point, Sona, last week, a couple of points. One is like how short-staffed they are. Why do they have this doctor? Why do they have all this medical equipment with only one doctor? And uh, where is the nanny? It turns out, Sona, it's all answered <laughs> by one person. <laughs> Eva is talk, the key to all of these questions. Talk about wearing a lot of hats. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They could get someone else. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, you'd think a family like that especially would have this early childhood development specialist, you know, that right. is very knowledgeable about developmental stages and young kids and and all of that. But, I mean, this seems like really just a jack-of-all-trades situation. For <laughs> right. In defense of the show, I think that he actually mentions it here. We discover over time that Bill probably has some kind of chronic condition that's being treated. Andy, yes. Oh, Andy, I'm sorry, yes. Well, it also is a, described as a life extension treatment, which I'm not sure if that is part of an actual illness or it's one of those things where it's, you know, the the things you hear about, about like, Oh, I just recycle my blood every two weeks. Right. It may be. <laughs> there is. I mean, there was a story that went viral this year about this um, tech billionaire in um, right. San Francisco who's trying to maintain like an 18 year old body. He's like in his 40s now or something. And he spends like a million dollars a year on that. But I, it does seem like there's more to this, that there is a concern or Andy has a concern about his mortality. So I do mm -hmm. think that, yes, there's life extension and all that, but I think that there's something else here. He specifically says, do you know that if someone knew I was sick, that it could throw like the world economy into chaos yes. so because of his how central he is to some of these technologies, which then also, I was going to say, ties into this whole how strange it is that Eva has to wear all these hats. She probably has the background of being a doctor, of having the expertise he needs for these treatments, but she's only on the books like as a nanny so that no one asks questions. of like, Right. So I think that's kind of how they have hidden her away this way. But uh, it does explain some things that uh, were- I mean, maybe, but 
It's also not unusual among wealthy families to have, you know, the daytime nanny and the evening nanny. They could still do this and hire someone to do the poor child's full-time childcare. (laughs) Neither here nor there. Then again, the mom is there and there's only like 12 people on this compound. So I mean, I think think that Bobby's so, the mom's so busy that she can't do most of that parenting as well. It's not a matter of- Of course, and Andy, not just the mom. Well, I don't know Zoomer's energy level. For me, if I were the sole childcare provider around the clock for my particular child at five years old, which he's not that much older than that now, I would be dead on my feet, man. (laughs) (laughs) It is not a one person job. It takes a village, they say. It really does, especially when you have a child with a very high energy level. So Eva's talking about this, what she's doing there. Darby's suspicious of all these things. Why do you guys have so much morphine? (laughs) Once again, to the idea that I don't think Andy's fully healthy if he needs all this morphine. Right. Okay. Good point there. Darby basically says, I'm leaving with you wherever you go. I'm going to jump into the elevator. All of this with a concussion. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Eva warns her many times, as does uh, Ray, the AI, many times that you know she has a concussion. There were times during this episode where I was kind of like, is she delusional? Is this really right. happening or is it inside yeah. her head? I do hope the show doesn't try to play with that too much. I think the way it's presented you know, there are certain times when you see things from her POV where her perspective is kind of skewed, but so much of what we see here is seen like in, a, like at a remove, like in third person that mm-hmm. I can't imagine that we're supposed to see this as in her head because right. we're not in her head when it occurred, when she sees it yes. or when we see it actually as viewers. So, right. But I do agree that this is like why so much focus on this concussion, just like the Morse code. <laughs> you might be delusional, Darby. You have a concussion. You might be delusional, Darby. You have a concussion. It was constant. You're right. It was a lot. Everybody was basically saying, are you sure that you heard that conversation? Are you sure, Darby? <laughs> so she motivates Eva to take her to see Andy and Lee, telling her that she'll have more blood on her hands if any of this continues to happen. They go down to the negative 10th level. They go deep, deep underground. And Clive Owen is here playing. Andy, of course, he plays this very nonchalant, come in, let's have a conversation. She says, you might not want Zoomer around for this. This is where Lee takes Zoomer into the other room. By the way, I just want to make a quick call out here that Clive Owen makes multiple references here to his son being King Arthur. I want him to be King Arthur. Mm-hmm. He's the king in this kingdom. Just so everybody knows, Clive Owen played King Arthur in a movie about 20 years ago. So I just, I don't I know if this is very intentional. So. And she lays it all out on the line. I know that you knew about Bill's parent, uh, the uh, Bill being the parent. He threatened you. This is her theory. He threatened you with some paternity claim. And Rohan witnessed it, and you're cleaning up the, t- you know, which, by the way, he, she really truly believes this. I don't know if she wants to be the only one down there. He can just like strangle her well, or knock her in the head. <laughs> part of the reason that during this scene, I was kind of like, is this really happening? It all just seemed really a little surreal to me. You've gone down negative 10 levels, this underground bunker that was not built to look like a normal home, but does seem to look like an underground bunker, right? Like it's a very strange structure that's there. I'm, I mean, not crazy, but like doesn't seem quite normal to me. And the way he just invites her to sit down with them for dinner, all of this to me seemed very strange, but I guess it was really happening. Well, she gets confirmation, right? Because uh, Lou May later on, says, you know, they basically took us down to their residence and it was a, a bunker, right? Yeah. So we know that sh- that definitely happened. And once again, if all of this is happening, including the questioning of the suspects and stuff, then I'm like, okay, well, this shows, <laughs> you know, you, they're not playing fair at that point, but I'm pretty sure this is all 
No, that's the conclusion I came to as well. It just had a very surreal feel to it. Maybe because she has a concussion, maybe they tried to add that. I don't know. I do agree, by the way, even just in the framing, you see him when she's looking at him, the arches are something like out of a medieval castle. Once again, again, the idea of a king. So I think there's definitely references being made there to him casting himself as this king of some kingdom. The question remains as to what kind of power he thinks he has. I did very much enjoy, by the way, that when she accuses him of this, that this like smirk breaks out on his face. He seems so entertained by her. You know, I, I assume at this point that he knows that she's misinterpreted these clues and he just kind of smiles to himself like, oh, she's so raw. <laughs> I feel like all of this scene made Andy so much more likable to me. Yes. Then he had not that I actively disliked him at all, but I feel like there was some distance from him. Right. Um, as a as a character. And here I felt like he really endeared himself to me with the way he had this conversation with Darby. I do think he might be abusive, though, when we get to something that happens later on. Um, it's hinted at here. Like we see him lose his temper at one point, uh, which I think is important. And then we do wonder, uh, you know, kind of jumping a little bit ahead, but we do wonder why Lee is potentially having an escape plan. It could just be because she wants the money. You know, there are ways you can interpret that where she is more nefarious, but she could just be afraid of it, right? And that—that that is possibly a theory that we need to con- consider. That hadn't occurred to me. That's very interesting. Hmm. I'll flesh that out, my theory out on that a little bit more in a minute. But you know, he comes out with the fact that he was sterile. He found he knew this from an early age. He's adamant that that is my son, one hundred percent, because Bill only provided the hardware. I'm provided the software. So nature versus nurture. He's definitely on a nurture side of this whole conversation. Yes. He also mentions, bringing up the kingdom again, saying that uh, you think this is about Bill because you loved Bill. This isn't about Bill. This is all about me. Once again, Andy, she may be wrong, Darby, because of her own bias, but Andy could be wrong about this as well, considering that, of course, he sees everything from his perspective that this is all to sabotage me. Someone's trying to hurt me. Yeah. This whole scene to me was like, well, we all have main character syndrome, don't we? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean, legitimately, I think everybody on this show, which is maybe intelligently what the show is addressing, but we'll see. And then, of course, he says, someone's trying to take away my kingdom from me, right? So once again, the whole kingdom analogy. Of course, as he's framed in this medieval archway, Mm -hmm. it's like very, once again. So he does admit that he needs to go for these treatments, whether it's life extending because he has some chronic condition. I think it's a combination of both because, once again, he explicitly says, if anybody knew I was sick, it would throw the world's economy into disarray. So- why bring that up if um, he's just doing this for to experiment on himself with uh, life extending technology? And once again, a lot of this stuff is very experimental, even this stuff that is out there. If you are so valuable to the world economy, why experiment on yourself? <laughs> you might want to experiment on someone else before taking it yourself. Or maybe he has, maybe he's funded some kind of studies and now he's taking advantage of it. All that is to say that he is very concerned with his life extension and maybe why he is so adamant to that this is truly his son, even though biologically he's not. Yes, that's his legacy. Also, conveniently, we find out that this is he was taking his treatment while the murder actually occurred. We see that it turns out this is very conveniently, by the way, this is very murder mystery convenience, whether it is, you know, an old school guard was making rounds, but they happened to not be there at the mm-hmm. moment when the murder occurred. So it, the, the convenience here, of course, is technological. So This is a LIDAR that can basically render a 3D version of the compound at any time. 
it happens to be that the time of the murder, the LIDAR was not scanning because this is when the system refreshes itself. Why you don't have continuous scanning based on a backup system or whatever. This is, of course, is the convenience for the plotting. But it also would tell us that someone had to know that, right? So it has to be an inside job to a large extent. So I thought it was interesting, though, and I'm very ignorant when it comes to these tech things. Yes, one conclusion is inside job, but couldn't another conclusion be we're just seeing people hacking stuff left and right? So maybe somebody hacks into the system and understands that's how it works. You're absolutely correct that it would either be someone who was familiar with that or someone who knows that presumed the fact that the system would have to refresh at some point and was able to figure that out. It's also very coincidental. And once again, this is a TV show. So of course, and a mystery, no less. So of course there has to be conveniences in the plotting, but also very coincidental that Darby had been and Rohan had been invited to Bill's room at the time he was going to like spill the beans and explain everything that was happening. And that just happened to coincide. Like it was a total coincidence that that's Mm. also when the system is being refreshed just by chance. I'm still not hundred percent that Andy's not the culprit. Although I think it's too obvious if he was, I've kind of felt that way from the beginning. So maybe that's still the strategy here that he could be the person, but you know, and you wouldn't suspect him because he is too obvious at this point, whatever, but there's a different ways you can interpret that. He does want to be close to Darby in her investigation. Now, once again, whether that is because he legitimately needs her assistance to do the investigation or whether he wants to be close to her to see what she actually knows, it remains to be seen. So based on their investigation here, they come up with a few suspects. Number one, David. What's his alibi? He was having sex with Oliver during the Mm -hmm. time. Interesting, by the way, that Andy's first reaction is, are you trying to poach my talent? And Andy's like, aren't I your COO? Like, how would I (laughs) poach them for what? (laughs) Just to speak to the fact that Andy is very mistrustful of him, once again, Oliver confirms that they did have sex, also confirms that they were interrupted, got back together afterwards. He was very flustered in between. And of course, we find out that later on that the call that David received was from Bill himself. So he had a 28 second call with Bill, which then he had to go and I presumably met with Bill outside of his room because otherwise if it was inside the room, we probably would have known. Outside of his room, they met somewhere. And afterwards he was very upset. But what's up with the tread on Oliver's shoes? Yes, exactly. So that's where Oliver could still be a suspect because Mm. why is the tread worn on his shoes? Because he can walk, but only short distances. But still means that he could walk long enough to uh, be the mm-hmm. same. Another thing that's mentioned is that Oliver doesn't know at the time who the call was from, but that there was a lot of somewhat racist chatter about Lume. <laughs> right. So then, of course, they bring Lume down for her interview. She mentions Lee took a lot of her money. She's a very good poker player. Once again, this could be important later on. Mm-hmm. And that Lee left the room at one point in the middle of the poker game. She's the only one that left the room, according to Lume. Lume also admits the fact that she has hacked through the firewall and tried to contact her security team who's nearby to extract her, but she was not able to get through to them. And uh, Andy's like, well, thank you for for admitting (laughs) to that. She also, once again, I don't know how this is going to pay off, but does mention the fact that, Andy, I could help you once this is over because I have some technology that my engineers have come up with where we can anticipate crimes based on people's psychological patterns and their criminal histories and et cetera. Basically, she has created her own precog, a little minority report. I was about to say, I think that was a movie. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then they get interrupted. Reporter, a reporter from the Wall Street Journal contacts Andy 
And they have discovered the fact that something's gone on, that there's been, that they're isolated on the compound, trapped there by the storms, and that maybe even something more nefarious has happened there. This is when we see Andy has a temper. He freaks out, but then takes the call, calms himself down immediately to take the call. So once again, something interesting. We've never seen him kind of have that pivot in his personality, but that could say something. And this is when Darby gets to wander around the turret of this building, basically, and comes upon Lee and Zoomer in their room. And a whole bunch of stuff happens here. So this is actually a pretty fascinating scene. So Darby tells Lee that I shouldn't have come to you first, but I did mention to Andy that Bill was the father of Zoomer. And she seems perplexed even by this and kind of laughs to herself and goes, you said that to my husband? And then she goes, well, that's when Andy told me so. And she's like, Andy told you what? And she starts to get upset about this. And this is where I think that he may be abusive because if it turns out that, for example, she did not know that Bill was the father, like has she been impregnated in this medical facility in some way, or that maybe she did indeed know that Bill was the father of the child, but didn't know that Andy knew. Two questions this raises for me. One is, Lee's good poker player or not, Lee seems to be very upset about at least some Agree. of what she's heard. There's retching. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So once again, she could be a good poker player. We've heard that before. So maybe some of this is manipulative, but I can't imagine she would be this upset or they would pre present her this upset if at least some of these revelations are not shocking to her. I agree. But more importantly is why would Andy come out with all this? I feel this is like the bigger mystery to me. I feel like everybody on this show is trying to manipulate everybody else and we don't know what parts of what they're saying are true or not, which I keeps me intrigued, by the way. I do hope it pays off, but I'm still intrigued because of that. Why would Andy have told Darby so much? It's almost as if he wants Darby to reveal this to his wife, right? Like if he has never told his wife that he is sterile, how would he go tell Darby and then not think that that could leak back to her? Like it's very strange. Yeah. I mean, I had questions about this too, in that I know when Darby and Andy were talking, he said he hadn't told Lee. But I had read that to mean back when they met, he never right. told her, but that I assumed such a big thing would have at some point been discussed between them, especially when she was pregnant. So I was surprised that according to what we saw, he had not told Lee ever that he was sterile, right. first of all, and just like ridden out this whole pregnancy thing with like this agreed upon lie amongst them. I also was, I mean, maybe this is where the head injury comes into play. This seemed like a lot of information to casually yes. drop on somebody the way Darby did. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's her style. Take people off guard. I don't know. But like to me, <laughs> yes. that it just seemed like a, a lot that was not necessarily directly related to the murder, the mystery at hand to just go ahead and get into. Um, I mean, she really could have stu stood her ground with like, you should hear this from Andy directly, right? right exactly. She would, you know, but she didn't. She just folded immediately. So I I'm not sure. <laughs> it, it all just seemed off to me somehow. Yeah, all of this, these interactions are, I think part of it is, like you mentioned, it, like the show telling us stuff like it has in the past. Yeah. So this is maybe how they're using these excuse, these conversations to, to just expose all this information. But it does, to your point, I, I, I agree that I think that there's more going on here because why bring up so much information, 
you could have very well had even Lee pressured Darby in her room for, I need to know that last piece of information to, to eventually have it. So once again, it, it almost feels like they are doing all this because there is some additional manipulation going on. Like I do wonder, like why would Andy reveal this secret with his wife? I mean, she literally has just walked out the room. She could be walking down the stairs at this moment as he's revealing this. So, right. So I do mm -hmm. wonder like, why is he, if this is an additional manipulation in a way. I also love the fact that this all leads to, as you mentioned, Lee leaves the room. She's retching in the bathroom. And Darby, like the worst investigator of all time, some, all of a sudden <laughs> is like holding like the wig in her hand and the, the the passport as she walks out of the bathroom. She doesn't even see, like she literally looks over at the bathroom like, oh, I think she might be coming. And then she casually opens the passport up and like, is looking at, what's the name? What's her alias that she's using? Oh, uh, sorry. I was just going through your bag. Like it was such a strange uh, interaction here. Agree. Not very smooth at all from Darby. Um, and you would think you would really be on high alert for, oh, the retching stopped. I right. should put stuff away. Exactly. Yeah, I hear the water running. She's washing her hands. I only exactly. have a second. Yeah. <laughs> she's so casual in the way she's looking at this. She could at least like go into the hallway. Like, I don't know, like do something to hide her actions. I don't know. It's bizarre. What do you make of this though? Like she obviously is planning an escape. Was she trying to run off with Zoomer? Do you think that's the case? What, what, what do you think her plans are here? If you could guess something. I mean, I didn't think that at all until you brought up this abuse idea five minutes ago. <laughs> so when I watched it, no, that hadn't occurred to me. It does seem uh, like a thing that abused women do, but I guess at, in the moment, I thought of it more as just like, oh, you know, hackers always trying to assume different identities. <laughs> True. <laughs> Carry the wig with you? It's just she's carrying a wig in her bag with her. Like, as she walks around, like at any moment, she's going to need to throw the wig on. <laughs> it's just strange. Very strange. It's not, it, and once again, this is why strange. I feel, this is once again, I feel like some of these are being intentionally placed. And I'm going to call this out right now. I do wonder, part of the reason I think that this is all part of the manipulation, we see in the flashback, and maybe this is why the flashback matters, when she gets to a fight with Bill and he is saying to her, don't you think these are breadcrumbs that someone is leaving for you mm -hmm. to find, right? Mm -hmm. And I think once again, it's like, it's so easy to say, like, can you believe that she was just standing there and then the wig was there and the passport? And sometimes you'd say like, would I leave that in front of this Sherlock Holmes character? Uh, and assume she's not going to find it or did I leave it there because I assume she was going to find it? I think that's a really it, good point. Yeah. So once again, I do wonder if Lee is the mastermind I mean, here and manipulating as well. Why was her purse even on the bed like that? I mean, yes, someplace that I live I mean. and I'm not leaving anytime soon because there's a storm. Um, and also I'm planning to be there for however long this retreat is. I mean, you don't need anything in your purse on a regular basis. Why wouldn't it be in the closet or something? This is the same reason I keep saying that I think this is some kind of additional manipulation because like you said, even if it's not Darby, if she legitimately has this there because she needs to escape from Andy at a drop of a hat and she's so afraid of him, how do you leave the bag just sitting there? Like he could just walk into Zoomer's room and pick up the bag. Like you said, you could just tuck it under a pillow or something. Like if you yeah. literally have to have it on your body at all times, because you are so concerned that he would find it, then you wouldn't just leave it laying around, you know? Right. Like, it's very strange. Agree. She'd have multiple wigs hidden in multiple places in the house. <laughs> yes. Have a wig at hand at any time. 
Andy then storms in and is like, I want to keep investigating, which of course Darby would actually be all for because she has no limits and like she has no uh, concern for her own health. And interestingly, Lee is the one who lets her escape and says, oh, you know, she needs to rest. And she's also in mourning. I think it's also an important piece of dialogue here. Andy says, I'd never stop if it wasn't for my wife. So I do have a question as to whether, once again, does that mean that Lee is masterminding some of these manipulations, including her husband? And then you, I, at first I thought, well, maybe she's letting her escape because then she's going to go and try to murder her in the next scene or something. And right. we'll get to it. And assail, the assailant does show up in her room. So that could right. still play out, but not to kill her, just to threaten Darby, which is strange because you know if someone else is going to die and someone else does die, then uh, why not kill Darby at this point if she's the threat? Because I think that in the end that she, Darby is doing what the killer wants her to do. And I think that's my theory. Mm-hmm. Interesting interaction when she's getting escorted back to her room. Todd, creepy Todd, always a creepy Todd. This actor, by the way, was also playing so differently. He has this kind of quiet menace here as the security guard. He was in uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, and oh. uh, he plays a killer there also, but like a clueless, moronic, hilarious, almost hilariously inept killers. Hmm. Although he does a lot of damage in that movie. But Todd does escort her back to her room. And it is important, I think, that he gives her back her ring and says, I understand revenge. So he kind of admires her for her tenacity. But also leaves it with the fact that his loyalty, and her loyalty, obviously, but his loyalty is to the family. So I do wonder if there's going to be some cross purposes there, his admiration, but his preservation of the family, if Darby actually turns her investigation on them. Darby, meanwhile, is spinning out of control here. We've seen this in the past, and we see it here as well. She's snorting Adderall to keep herself going. The AI is constantly haranguing her about her her (laughs) blood pressure, her heart rate, everything. She gets furious, eventually like unplugs the AI. So she doesn't have to hear the speaker anymore. And I also like, by the way, that, you know, if anybody needs at this point in the show, like cliff notes for the rest of the season, she writes them down on a piece of paper. She writes down, why did Bill call David? (laughs) She Mm -hmm. goes, what is the Zodiac boat for? And she writes, what is Lee hiding? And she underscores it two times. So it's like very important. If you need to know, like everything you need to know about the show up to this point, those are the three main questions remaining. (laughs) She doesn't want to eat any of the prepared foods, so she decides that she will have some licorice and gluten-free rice cakes. Yeah, what <laughs> an appealing selection that was. <laughs> Delicious, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is when she gets attacked. They're having their iPhone basically read off a composed note. It says, there is no end to the labyrinth. Bill will not come back. And says, I do not want to take another life. So I think that's interesting as well that this killer, at least, unless this is all manipulation, doesn't want to kill anybody else. Maybe all these killings have only been necessity because they've been getting in the way of some grander scheme. Don't make me kill somebody else. So how do you read this? My theory of it, once again, I'm saying, is someone trying to manipulate her investigation? So this could all just be a way to goad her on even more. Uh, Or is it potentially that this person has really only killed out of necessity, right? They're just trying to protect someone or some discovery and they really haven't intended to kill anybody. It's just been slowly getting out of control. I took it as the latter. I don't think she was showing any signs, Darby, of giving up the investigation. So um, unless there was something in that message that is an additional clue that we haven't noticed, which is possible. Um, Otherwise, I, I think even if she's being set up to go down a certain path, I think she was going to continue down that path regardless. So I don't think she needed any push in that direction. 
but maybe there's something there that I'm not thinking of that was an additional clue that she'll seize on. That's possible. All right. With Darby's attack, we go into flashback. They're driving Bill and Darby. Bill asks her, when did you first fall in love with me? And he says, I have a three-part answer, or three times, he says. One is when she said she could talk to the dead. <laughs> the second one was he when he saw her. By the way, this is actually a really nice scene in the show. That moment, speaking to the chemistry of the actors, that moment when they see each other in the bar for the first time, his look of like the light on his face, it really feels like they make an instant connection. So once again, this show, to a large extent, is working <laughs> because we buy the connection between these people. Mm-hmm. And he says, all this stuff is so on the nose. One, the fact she can talk to the dead, and that might tie into the Morse code that's coming later in this episode. Two, that he said, I just had this feeling that I would know you for a long time, maybe until the day I died, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I guess he did. And then three, he says, it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, a little, a little strange, but. That is so weird to me. <laughs> really, yes. And then she kind of puts up her little attitude and she goes, well, maybe I haven't fallen in love with you yet. And then she gets distracted by her online investigation. He gets annoyed by that she can't engage emotionally with him and that she's obsessed or fixated on her obsession. From her online investigation or sharing the ring, photographs of the ring, she's discovered that, or someone has suggested that this is an old ring, like almost 100 years old. And that leads her in a direction which eventually pays fruit here on the show. But more importantly, is that in this moment, Bill is really annoyed by this whole thing. And they lead to an interesting conversation where very on the nose, this dialogue, but I did like this scene. It actually did work for me because I do like seeing these two sides of technology where everybody thought this thing was going to be some kind of new gadget if they had advertised this as just like you're carrying a smaller version of a computer in your pocket all the time. It just would not have taken off the way it did. But now we're all obsessed with it. And he says that technology or being uh, addicted to our smartphones is maybe worse for us than smoking back in the day. And then she undercuts all this by saying, you know what? The first time I did fall in love with you, going back to her original answer, it was the time we met on the computer. This duality, right? That this thing that can connect us is also the thing that oftentimes in the moment is distracting us from our actual living existence. I did like this in its own way. The show is not super subtle, but I actually think this worked pretty well. I I liked all of it. Obviously, they are in a very unique situation, but I do think in the modern day, it is a very common bicker for couples to have, or at least it is in my house, that one person is trying to talk about something and the other person has their head in their phone. And, you know, the the speaker is like, why am I bothering? You're not even listening to me. And oh, no, I just need to finish this text. So I think I kind of touched on that as like a universally recognizable thing. And especially when he's trying to connect on something so deep, it's not just about, you know, me trying to tell my husband, hey, remember, we have to go to this place at this time tomorrow. Like this is a deep conversation about when they first fell in love with each other and she's so preoccupied by this investigation. I also, by the way, wondered why she had such a, how she had such a great signal in the middle of the desert. (laughs) True, Um, true, good point. Because I have driven, you know, Southwest and there are long gaps that you have no signal whatsoever, or maybe it's just my service. But anyway, all of this I thought was very nicely done and gave us more insight into their dynamic as a couple and also kind of foreshadowed her preoccupation becoming an issue for him, which we Mm -hmm. see more of later. My audio quality quality has probably just changed. I had a mistake on my speaker, but we'll have to deal with it in in the end. (laughs) I'm not going to re-record that part. So, but anyway, hopefully the audio is not too distracting. 
So in the present day, she wakes up from this attack. She notices that the assailant hasn't even closed the door behind them, has walked out into the snow, but we do see those footprints disappear in the snow. Importantly, in case you wanted to follow them, then they are probably fading out by the wind. And I thought that was very pretty too. The way yes. they did that was very pretty. I agree. Uh, it's like some of the visuals are very evocative, but maybe the security cameras potentially would have some information that she can investigate later. We'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. She visits Sean's medical bay, or in the medical bay, I should say. Sean. So it's like an Irish person saying Sean is the way I described it. Yeah. So I texted you when I was watching this, that, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was committed to Sion, but it is clear yeah. to me during this episode, and probably would have been clearer had I been <laughs> right. paying more attention the last episode, that it is not Sion. Um, I don't know if it's, you mentioned an Irish person. I don't know if it's like a Gaelic thing um, because yeah. she's not Irish. Right? Oh, it's definitely not. I mean, I was reading it, part of my confusion in this, um, pronouncing it. On the website, her name is S-I-A-N. That's the way it's written on the FX biography page. Yes, I have the captioning on. And that's the reason that I was confused as well. I think I was reading the captioning and pronouncing it that way in my head so much that I did not realize that the characters themselves were not pronouncing it phonetically. And I think there was slight variability in how they pronounced it. Andy. I agree. I think amongst the characters, (laughs) they vary as well. I agree. Andy very specifically is saying Sean, like uh, like an Irish person saying the word Sean, basically. This conversation between Darby and Sean is really, really interesting. They spent some time alone. Sean says to her, I was waiting for you to come. Eva is worried. She's like, you don't have to leave her alone. She's resting. This is not a injury that should kill her at this point, importantly. But I think there's a lot more to that, by the way. I get what you're saying. Yes. Well, we're going to get to a very important piece of dialogue. Yes. <laughs> and we also need to cover the whole helmet situation from last week that we kind of glossed yes. over. You know what? I, I put it into our um, conversation. I literally injected oh, okay, it saying, okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't no- normally do this, but Sona and I were texting. I have to put <laughs> yes, this into the episode. We totally <laughs> missed that plot point. Well, we but didn't did miss it, but we that. missed discussing it. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that there was almost certainly a mix up yeah. on the helmets, I think. Okay. So yes, back to the tracheotomy situation. All of this conversation is really interesting to me. First thing that I like, it's very much ties into my personal philosophy in life, by the way, the idea that Sean tells Darby that she shouldn't feel guilty for anything that's happened, that guilt is actually easier. It's the lazy way out. It's easier than admitting the fact that we really can't control that much. And we just think that we can. That really resonated for me as well. Um, (laughs) Not for me personally, but for people I know. Yeah. And she says something very interesting. I'm definitely going to have an episode on the current season of Fargo. Sona, do you watch Fargo by chance, the TV series? I haven't. I kept meaning to, and it's another one of those shows that it just feels like it's too deep in now for me to catch up. You can absolutely jump into just this season. As a matter of fact, it is the one that is the one that's riffing on the original Fargo movie the most. Oh, and. And they are, every one of these are completely standalone seasons. They have no connection one to the other. I uh, had no idea. That's interesting. East, okay. There's Easter eggs to the other shows. Like they'll be mm-hmm. like, I mm-hmm. like, they'll like actually say there was that woman who got killed uh, in 1992, mm-hmm. right? Because they take place in different years. So other than like that Easter egg where they're referencing something that happened in the other seasons, there's no shared characters. There's no shared plot lines. There's no broader mythology. So you can absolutely jump in, in this season. Interesting. But the reason- I brought it up is because in this very epist, this very current 
episode of Fargo, which was excellent this week. Despite me having misgivings early in the season, I'm completely on board now. <laughs> but in this fourth episode, there is a whole character who is basically fighting tooth and nail to make the world bend to her idea that if you do the right thing, bad things can't happen to you. Like bad things do not happen to good people. So it's very interesting. Yeah. I literally watched that yesterday and then watching back to back this episode uh -huh. where Sean is saying what the Fargo show is telling us in action rather than in words that mm -hmm. bad things happen to good people all the time. And that chaos all the time, all around mm -hmm. us. So yeah, I do re recommend that, but it's, it's just interesting that these two episodes were watched so close together. Darby asks, so what is up with Lee? Why is she committed to Andy? What is she doing? Cause she's starting to obviously be very mistrustful of her. Sean says, I wondered the same thing. I think she was in it for the money, which of course, based on the reputation of Lee, this hacker who was kind of like this anarchist and uh, wanted social change, that she's obsessed with money would be completely out of character. Yeah, I thought that was a strange thing to say as well. But she does seem to love Zoomer, and that could be, once again, an important aspect of what's going on here. She might stick around to protect him, obviously. Now, here's a really, really interesting piece of dialogue. And just the moment in general is really, really well executed. Sean tells Darby that her throat hurts and she needs her to go get her a glass of water. Mm -hmm. As soon as she's about to go get the glass of water, she grabs her desperately, like, like her last moment of life, basically, knowing that that's what's happening. And she says to Darby, what a way to go. And then she goes, go ahead, get me that glass of water. And of course, Darby exits the room and she dies. But she knows at that second that she's going to die. So she is somehow part of this conspiracy and knows what's about to happen to her, which I found this whole moment really intriguing. I found it confusing. <laughs> yes, both, both things. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> she also tells her before she passes away, you know, before she exits the room, that she should keep looking, keep investigating, but that she needs to find people to trust. She can't do it alone. Interesting that she's giving Darby the direction to continue to investigate literally at the moment she's about to die. And she obviously knows more than she's saying, but doesn't tell her. So I, I find all of this very interesting and confusing, <laughs> but yes, mm -hmm. interesting or more than confusing. I think I'm equally parts, equal parts interested and confused. I, I mean, I, I just don't understand what happened to her there physically. Right. Did she have a sip of water beforehand? Was there something in the water before? Was was there any water before? I, I lost track of that. No, I think she wants Darby to exit so that she can do whatever mm. she has to do. But I don't know if she has pill that she can take or if there's something yeah. in the you know her uh, fluid bag or something that huh. she somehow knows. I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. But I just know that she's fully aware that this is the moment that she is going to depart, but somehow can't be more overt about it to, to Darby. Of course, this is when Eva walks in. Darby didn't kill her because she's literally not in the room at the moment, although she would still be suspicious. Andy shows up very angry at this point and says to Darby, how come like basically everywhere you are, there's a dead body, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which is absolutely true. She's basically, <laughs> she, she's talking to someone or looking at them two minutes later, they're dead. It's just how it is. <laughs> what, what does he say specifically? Why is it that wherever you go, death follows? <laughs> <laughs> Andy seems to be like fed up with her at this point and says, you're going to basically get locked up in your room. This is the second time he's attempted this until the police show up because he's warned. He's uh, basically alerted the police. Isn't that what you wanted, Darby? <laughs> <laughs> On the way back to her room, she sees that Lume and Ziba are outside. They've built a fire. 
some interesting conversation points here. I think they, I don't know if they suspected that Sean had passed or if this is the first time they're discovering it from Darby. Ziba mentions that, is it Ziba or Lume? I forget who it is that mentions that Sean had returned from the moon more aware than ever of the mm-hmm. preciousness of life. And I've mentioned the fact that there are no atheists on the moon, just the way that people used to say that there's no mm-hmm. atheists in the foxholes. I thought it was Lume until you said maybe it wasn't. And then I started overthinking it. I think, yeah, I think it was Lume and Ziba is the one that starts going on about how the wind carries us all, nomads, mm-hmm. it's, even in nomads, Ziba, but whatever that is. That very much is my philosophy as well, I think, uh, by the way. This is another thing that kind of <laughs> that resonates with me. I think about this all the time when we're, you know, this is a much bigger conversation, obviously, but think about all these like conflicts that are happening in the world right now where people have shared families, you know, not that many centuries ago and are literally at war with each other now. I think to myself, I can't believe we would find any reason to be at odds with each other when, if we had that perspective, right? If we like spent some time on the moon, for example, and we knew like the cold lifelessness of the cosmos, we'd be like, man, we should really be working as hard as we can to preserve what we have here. It is so fragile, but also, and this is why I think it is a bigger conversation, or at least one of the reasons, I think um, your perspective it can be very colored by religion and what you believe, yes. right? Mm-hmm. You can act one way if you think there is something more after this. True. And another way if you think this is all there is. <laughs> so, you know, you got one shot. And what's interesting about this show, I don't know if it's going to be able to land this plane, obviously. It is intriguing to me that the show is definitely playing with these ideas, right? We have it specifically said here in the context to Sean and her worldview. Of course, the show is over and over again. I have to circle back to this by the end of this recap, by the way, uh, talking about the apocalyptic end to humanity because of ecological collapse or something like that. And to your point, here we are again talking about no atheists in the foxhole. So it's this idea of talking to the dead, right? Like, is there an afterlife? Mm-hmm. Like is explicitly these themes that you mentioned are actually in the show. So I do find it interesting that they are trying to grapple with these very concepts that you're describing. Uh, I don't know how well it's doing that, but uh, I am still intrigued that they are at least trying to bring up some of these themes. This is the beginning of an anti and uh, Andy revolt brewing here, right? We have not only the three ladies, but then of course, Oliver shows up. Martin shows up. Poor Martin has done hardly anything on this show, which makes me think that he's he's the killer. Just the fact that he showed up again here, like in the 11th hour, he's the guy who's like the least suspicious. He's the guy who did it just because he happens to be here now. And does anyone else roll up here at the very end? No pun on the rolling up with Oliver, by the way. No, it's not intentional. Yeah, it's the five of them at the end. They also suspect, or Lume is the one who brings up the fact that they had gone down to the 10th floor, negative 10th floor, I should say. So those robots very well may be excavating yet another one of the sites like this one. So then the question becomes like, what is the purpose of this particular place, by the way? Is this some kind of pilot program for some kind of repository for human knowledge in case of some kind of apocalyptic event that is forthcoming? Do you have a theory on that? Like what what might be the purpose of this whole place? I don't. And I mean, to be honest, this is where- <laughs> This is where you lose interest. My interests diverge. I don't really care. <laughs> they could be building the silos from the TV show Silo, by the way, <laughs> was what I was thinking about. A show we covered here in a podcast, which I know you didn't watch, Sona, but people live inside right. these like deep silos. So it's like, well, maybe this is a prequel to that show. <laughs> I had written down, is this some kind of pilot program for a human seed bank? You're probably aware of this, but I think in Iceland, there is a mountain where there is a seed bank of basically all the plants in the world. 
and they all get stored there for the very reason that what happens if there's some kind of event? It doesn't even have to be a nuclear war or a our own ecological collapse, but just the fact that if another ice age came or whatever, you'd literally have an archive of all the vegetation in the world. So you could like replant anything you needed to. So I do wonder, is this some kind of form of a human seed bank? So you could have different people with different expertise, with different knowledge bases to re-educate and repopulate the planet potentially. Maybe that's his- I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Martin is there to provide whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not not too involved in the rest of these uh, goings-ons here. <laughs> Zeba has a whole talk where I mentioned about her talking about how we're all nomads or her people are nomads, even when they live in cities. And they have this kind of ritual of naming the dead, which interestingly, Darby does not want to name Bill because then he won't come back. This is a very interesting point, considering some ghostly presence is communicating with her via Morse code in the next scene. Mm-hmm. We get one more flashback, which I think is very important here. Billy's worried about Darby's fixation. She's doing Adderall to keep herself awake. Like uppers and downers, he said. Yeah, uppers and downers, right? They keep going. And he makes some really good points. Like, we should get out of here. And she's like, what do you mean? We're so close to it. And he's like, why aren't we talking to the police? Like, this is at this point, if you really think we're this close, this should be handed over to somebody else. So speaking to the fact that this is becoming an obsession for her. Mm-hmm. She tries to make some case that, you know, like, we're, I'm trying to save these women. There's other women that he could be killing in the future. All legitimate points, but all reasons why you probably don't want to wander into his house and potentially get right. murdered by him. <laughs> you right. should hand this information over to somebody who can do something about it, like prosecute this person. Because theoretically, even if you have him dead to right, supposedly, you still have to prosecute him and put him in jail. You can't just walk in there and say, I know it's you, therefore, case closed. This isn't a TV show, or either, rather it is, <laughs> but in the context <laughs> of the show, it should not be. And while she's out here, this kind of high horse, the apartment catches, I mean, the uh, hotel room catches fire because she's distracted and she was lighting a joint, I think. So she takes her eye off the ball and of course, almost burns down the apartment. But Bill makes a very important point here, which I will tie back to my commentary earlier, that he says, don't you think this is all very convenient? All these breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. being left out for you. This is someone who wants you to find these breadcrumbs. And shouldn't you ask yourself why? Like, are we walking into a trap of some kind? Which I do think is important when we consider some of the obvious clues that she's found in the current investigation. I agree with that. I think he's making a great point. And I feel like, I'm not sure, have we come full circle to that first episode and where we no, kind of pick up with them? Not yet. Not yet. That okay. would, yeah, I think that they're right before then. So what we've seen is in the very first episode, we saw them inside the house, we don't know if they've actually caught this person. It could just be someone who's has a gun in their hands in that final moment uh, and points it at them because they're like, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> right. <laughs> Potentially. Right. So, but it does leave it dangling as in like, did they catch the killer or not? They have not exposed whether that was the case or not. And I think the answer to that question will tie into the validity of her current investigation as well, by the way. I think that's why they're playing kind of peekaboo with that final reveal. Mm-hmm. And this could also be why she has this kind of PTSD. Maybe she's had different experience there based on all of that. And then the only thing we know about it, the fallout afterwards is Bill saying to her when he leaves that, you know, we could have died. What were we doing in that house? Does that mean what were we doing in that house? We should have been there there with backup or what were we doing in that house? We were completely wrong. Like, you know, that, that still remains to be, you know, revealed. Right. So we almost see like the immediate before after that what's missing. And I think is we're not going to see until very close to the end of the show is what happens there in the middle. Yeah. Okay. And we also see here, by the way, Bill speaking the lines in their context that we've seen multiple times before, where he says to, says to her that, 
I think I would have to die for you to fall in love with me. Mm-hmm. Once again, because that's what's happened here on the show, right? Darby's pretty messed up having these memories, and she decides to talk to Ray, the AI again. She talks about how she just is so chafed by all these things that have happened to her and the losses she's had. She just feels completely raw. Actually, now that you're saying this, didn't she tear that system out of the wall? She did at one point, but she rewires it when she comes back into the apartment. Oh, okay. She, I missed that. She, okay. Yeah. Right before she initiates Ray here, she basically puts the wire back and then she puts the speaker back into the wall. And then she, you know, she asks Ray to visualize or whatever it is that when they, when he makes himself visible to her and he does his low version, low tech version of a therapy here. Tell me more about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then during this conversation is when the Morse code comes. Sona, did you know that Darby knows Morse code? I wish they had mentioned it because it doesn't make any sense that she would know Morse code. Exactly. Exactly. And the lamp is blinking. And then I really wondered, like, this is very interesting because, <laughs> or is it? But it, but wh <laughs> why? <laughs> because who would know at this point? I mean, we all know, obviously, but who else would know at this point that she knows Morse code? So of course there's Bill who's communicated with Morse code with lights in the past. Who's dead. Yeah. Who's dead, exactly, <laughs> supposedly. We have Sean, who she has that whole conversation about Morse code with her. Is it in her book? Maybe that whole incident that we see played out is in the book and maybe somebody knows this and is manipulating her with the Morse code, even using the lights like Bill did to emotionally manipulate her or even convince her. I mean, she literally was saying that I want Bill to come back in the previous scene. So maybe the killer was there and is manipulating her in this way, possibly. But if that wasn't written in the book, then who would even know about the Morse code thing? I don't know, except just to say that Morse code seems an uncommonly common way of communicating in this yeah. series and that Rohan was also doing it, right? Right. Good point. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. I get what you're saying, but then again, <laughs> maybe it's just accepted that everybody here it knows It could be Morse like code. that common. Everybody <laughs> knows it. That's possible, right? It could be. Or at least that you would be smart enough to recognize it's Morse code, record what it is, and then go translate it. And the Morse code turns out to say, I know what Bill, why Bill called David and meet me at the pool at 10 o'clock or 10 p.m. or what is it, 2200? It was 2200. Pool. So either way, I mean, that's, she mm -hmm. pretty much knows what it is. Unless it's a pool table, <laughs> she went to the wrong pool. <laughs> so she decides to go down by the pool. There's nobody there. She decides to go for a swim. Maybe there's a clue in the, under the water and she goes pretty deep underwater. <laughs> Not sure why she goes so deep. And then the pool closes over her and she's trapped under the surface and there's someone standing there in the last moments of the episode. Very tense. It is. And it's not because there's no way she can die <laughs> at this point. So. No, you don't think? <laughs> no. And I was really waiting for that because every episode's kind of had this little mini cliffhanger. So I was curious to see where it was going to end. And I'm like, well, <laughs> this is not a very satisfying one because like I said, it, 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 it would be quite a twist if they killed Darby off at this point. But And someone else continued the, maybe Ray, the AI continues the investigation. <laughs> what a strange, <laughs> strange direction for the show to go in. And that takes us to the end. Any, do you have any suspects, any theories? What, what, what do you have? Anything? I mean, this is always one of the very stark differences between you and I is that I'm going to just along for the ride, watching it as it goes along. If anything isn't very blatant, I'm just kind of like, hmm, interesting. And I turn off the TV <laughs> and I move on with my life and that's it. Whereas I think you have some kind of innate ability to pick up on little clues and piece things together, even if you're not consciously doing it. So I ask you, what are your theories? 
that's part of the pleasure for me. And, and like, I like to, especially in a show, because, you know, with a movie, I can basically just see a clue and kind of absorb it, kind of ignore it, because I know it'll be wrapped up soon enough. I think with the show, it really invites me to try to think of what the direction the show was going in, I'm, especially with a mystery, honestly, because they are leaving me clues for some reason. And I do, that's kind of the pleasure, part of the pleasure for me anyway. But I kind of laid out all the theories I have here. I think probably someone's manipulating Darby and she's probably wrong about foundationally about some of the observations she's making. Well, look, how many episodes of this are left? Two more. Two more. Okay. At this point, I kind of think it would be disappointing if it were one of the guests. Do you agree or no? As opposed to someone who works in the compound? I mean, it better not be someone we haven't seen. Andy, <laughs> Lee, even Marius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it's one of these people we know nothing about, it's not going to be satisfying. It has to be somebody that we right. have some relationship to at this point. Yeah. So I don't think it's any of them. I mean, I'm kind of backing into this in a way, but you know, just from a plot construction standpoint, right? I, I don't think it would be satisfying at all if it was one of the guests. Yeah. And we I, saw I, them all sitting around the fire at the end. I mean, none of those people are compelling candidates. Right. Yeah, if it was Oliver all of a sudden, I'm like, like I care. <laughs> why do right. I care? Well, you know what? Why I'd say that why I do care is there are so many pieces here they've laid out on the table that are unexplained and so, to, so, to a large extent. I'm more interested in the why someone is doing this rather than the who did it, to be totally honest. And maybe this stuff is not going to coalesce in the end, but- I think that's what's intriguing to for me about it, right? Like you have this idea that there is this project that is for the survival of humanity, potentially, like in some apocalyptic, an apocalypse that Andy thinks is imminent, right? And then you have that aspect of the story. And then you have the whole backstory of Darby and Bill and their relationship and what happened in that gap that we still don't know. And how does that potentially tie into what we're seeing here? And then there's like, you know, what did Lee know? What What is Lee's? game. She's obviously more central to what's happening here. She's definitely going to be foundational to the resolution of the story. And like, how does she fit into this beyond just being like Andy's wife? And once again, it's how these things are going to come together in the context of the show and also how they're going to tie these together. Like as the people in the show themselves, like, why are they telling me this story in this way? So that is more intriguing to me, to be honest, than whoever it's going to be, because, you know, unless it's, Darby turned out to do it in some kind of, you know, <laughs> fugue state. I'm like, I don't know what, how satisfying any of this is going to be like, kind of like, aha, it's like, everybody can be a candidate. Like maybe Lou May did it, an attack on Andy to you know, destabilize his company. Maybe Andy's doing it to cover up some secret he doesn't want getting out. And he knows that one of these people has leaked some information about him. So he's like trying to figure out who it is and eliminating the people who get in the way. But if that's the case, eh, so what? You know, like I, I've seen that, you know, so it's, uh, you know, like I said, it's more intriguing to me, like the, why are they telling the story this way and how these different, very unrelated things are going to somehow coalesce in the end. I hope those mechanical ants aren't involved. <laughs> Maybe they're the ones who are killing them. <laughs> really tiny, tiny little mechanical ants. <laughs> They've become sentient somehow and... <laughs> <laughs> they crawled into Sean and killed her. Are going to overthrow. <laughs> she saw them. She saw them like crawling in. Oh, this is how it ends. <laughs> Darby, stay away from the ants. <laughs> One last thing. I started to think this week, because of this whole apocalyptic end of the world, right? When people say, the, you know, there's an apocalypse, we're saying it's the end of the world. So Sona, a murder at the end of the world, not geographically at the end of the world. Which was disappointing for me. 
<laughs> right. Exactly. We're not quite there. So, so to that point, a murder at the end of the world, like imagine this is like the apocalypse is imminent and there's a murder that occurs at the end of the world. And I wonder if that's what we're seeing here. Good point. That'd be quite a twist. To next episode, we see the murder the of civilization. And then like the next episode is how they're all like these, you know, the killer, the suspects, the victims are all trapped together because there's literally <laughs> the end of the world and they all have to live there together now. Awkward. They have to eat a lot of licorice and a lot of gluten-free <laughs> rice cakes. I want to know what opal licorice is. I've got to Google that. Is that a real thing? Yeah. I got to look it up. Speaking of a murder at the end of the world or the end of the world, I should say, the movie I was going to mention to you that you might want to check out is. Oh my God. It's salty licorice. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm sorry. I Googled it while we were talking. (laughs) I was about to do the same thing, but the movie I was going to mention is leave the world behind. Have you seen the trailer for this? I have not, but I do think somewhere in the background of me working from home, I heard an interview with Julia Roberts about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I didn't really absorb too much except, oh, Julia Roberts is in a movie that's coming out. Julia Roberts and her husband, Ethan Hawke, go with their kids to stay at an Airbnb out on Long Island, I believe it is. Oh, nice. And then Mahersha Ali and his daughter show up basically saying, well, something's going on in the city. There's some kind of blackout. And we've come out here. And then there's this mistrust between them. Like, is this guy really the owner of the Airbnb? And the movie definitely has thoughts on its mind about our cultural conversation at this moment. And then exactly what's happening and how people react to it. So it's it's interesting. It's not perfect. It is interesting. It's produced by the Obamas, by the way. Yes, she said that. <laughs> and it's directed and written by Sam Esmail, who wrote Mr. Mm-hmm. Robot and directed it. Uh, not a full success. But yeah, if you check it out, we could discuss it here on the show. I'll uh, definitely be reviewing it next week at some point. So bit of trivia that I did pick up from that interview is that the Mr. Robot guy, Sam yep. Esmail, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm already re- mispronouncing enough names. His favorite movie, according to the interview with Julia Roberts, is My Best Friend's Wedding, which I found surprising from the person who did Mr. Robot. It is surprising, but the, the interesting thing to, for me about that movie is that she's the bad guy. <laughs> We're seeing a movie from the perspective of the bad guy. So I guess that might tie into Mr. Robot in a way, by the way. Interesting point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was inspiration for Mr. Robot. <laughs> <laughs> So check that out if you want to. And everybody out there, check it out. It's pretty good. It's definitely a conversation starter. I'm finishing up the book now because I was so intrigued by the kind of unexplored possibilities of the movie. The book, to be honest with you, explores these themes even less, at least so far. I'm only about halfway through. I plan to review it and discuss the book as well in some future episode (laughs) within the next week or so. So stay tuned for that. And uh, it'll be on Netflix. So anybody can watch it. Um, Most people have Netflix. So It's like gas. It's like utility at this point. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Sona. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.